Hey, my friends, welcome to the Wildcast. Just finished an hour-long conversation with Hillel Fold. He is a global advocate for Israel. He's an Israeli-American technology business advisor. He's a blogger. He's a vlogger. But most importantly, he is a proud Zionist who's got a tremendous handle on what's happening on the ground in Israel. He's also the younger brother of the late Ari Fold of blessed memory, who Prime Minister Netanyahu called a hero who will be forever remembered, who was killed stopping a terrorist attack in Israel. We talked about a number of really important things. Um, what's going to happen after Hamas, please God, is taken out of commission? Who's going to be running the Gaza Strip? How do you respond to allegations that Israel is somehow involved in genocide. He's very articulate and has a lot of the important facts that we need to be sharing with our colleagues and our friends. South Africa recently charged Israel of genocide in the United Nations International Court of Justice. How should we be responding to this? And he has just some very inspirational stories of things that are happening on the ground. I mean, what he shared about where Israel is technologically in the world, Israel's got 9 million people in it. And yet Israel is in the forefront. It's very inspirational. Take a listen. I really want to thank in advance uh, you, Hillel, for coming on and um, for giving us of your time. I know how incredibly busy you are, so I'm not going to waste any time. I'm going to get right into a conversation uh, with Hillel Fold. And those of you who don't know the great Hillel Fold, he's an amazing advocate, a global advocate for Israel. He's an Israeli-American technology business advisor. He's a blogger, a vlogger. Uh, he focuses on Israeli high-tech industry, marketing tips for growing a business, personal brands. He's incredibly successful and helpful to a lot of people starting their own startups. Um, and he's really got an in living in Israel and being such an advocate for Israel. So Hillel, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Thank you very much. Thank you. So tell us a little, where were you on October 7th and how you've been doing, you and your family? So um, I live in Beit Shemesh in Israel with my wife and five kids. Um, I was walking to shul with my 12-year-old twins, whose bar mitzvah is in a couple of weeks. And um, we heard, you know, booms above. And the situation, as sad as this is to say, is that when you hear booms and you hear rockets and you hear the Iron Dome, it's just kind of like shrug your shoulders. Oh, look, they're attacking again, which, you know, right there should give us a pause and be like, what is wrong with us that we allow this reality to exist? Um, and so we we, we, get, we got to shul, Simchas Torah, and um, I live in a predominantly Anglo community. Uh, rabbi Rosner is the rabbi in my community. I'm sure you know him. And, sure. um, and you know, Simchas Torah, and then mid, I think it was Laning, if I'm not mistaken, pretty sure it was Laning, uh, the first siren. And, you know, we all went, ran back to the bomb shelter, which is not equipped to handle hundreds of people. So kind of like the women went in, the men stood nearby and hoped for the best. And, um, you know, after that, it was like, all right, back to davening, and then the next siren, and then back to davening, and then the next siren, back to davening. And, you know, it, I, you know, I think people already starting to understand that something is up, not just your, you know, typical, again, it's so crazy you could call it typical, yeah, not just your yeah. typical rockets. But, um, you know, we didn't know, obviously, the extent of it. But then when the children, I say children because they're children, and the 18-year-old kids in the neighborhood started getting called up, then we knew something was up. And, of course, 
you know, we didn't have our phones on us and, um, you know, the rumors started and, you know, I, I remember someone telling me, oh yeah, thousands of terrorists came to Israel. I'm like, come on, stop it already. Don't be ridiculous. Stop with the rumors. Like you're scaring people. Stop being alarmist. There's no way that happened. And, you know, as someone who lost a brother to terror, I, I, you know, I think all, all terrorist attacks are extremely triggering. Right. And this, you know, I, I was in a panic attack basically. And a lot of people are kind of trying to calm me down. And mm-hmm. for some reason, I, my brain went to the number 75. I don't know why I said, what happens if I said, like, I can't calm down. What happens if I sign on after hug and there are 75 casualties? Like I can't, I don't know where I got that number from, but that's the farthest my brain could go. Like I could not right. fathom, you know? Um, and the crazy part, honestly, is that when I turned on my phone eventually after hug, and I found out what happened, that moment of finding out what happened, I have zero recollection of it. And, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but there are symptoms to trauma. And, yeah. you know, Ari was murdered. I remember the day of, like it was yesterday. I don't remember the day after or the following month at all. I have a complete blackout. And that's, you know, selective amnesia, selective memory, whatever you want to call it. But <laughs> that very much applied here. I don't, I literally do not remember finding out. I know what happened before. And I know what happened afterwards, but I don't remember finding out. Well, just those of you listening to this, so um, Hillel's brother, Ari, of blessed memory, was a great hero, someone who actually the prime minister, Netanyahu, called a hero who will be remembered forever, um, was killed by a terrorist uh, pre- protecting other innocents. Uh, I think it was in a mall. Um, Out, outdoor mall by, by Gush Etzion, 20 minutes outside of Jerusalem. Yeah. So I, I can't imagine that this was this has been easy for you. I'm sure this is bringing up all of that for you and for your family. I've seen you've done a lot of advocacy on behalf of Israel, hundreds of thousands of followers ranging. I've seen your stuff on Instagram and Facebook and uh, Twitter, or formerly known as Twitter, TikTok. Any misinformation or repeated ideas that you've been seeing? Are you seeing any certain patterns uh, because I'd like to use this conversation with you to be helpful to our listeners. W- what are you seeing that's that needs to be, you know, what wrongs need to be righted and how can we correct them? You know, I think it's an easier question or an easier answer to say what, you know, what accurate information is being distributed on social media. Mm-hmm. There's just so many lies. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't, I don't even think it's specific to this war. I think there has not been a conflict in the history of mankind with so many lies being just perpetuated and distributed and so many millions of people believing the lies it starts from the very foundation of the whole thing right like you know oh we want a state do you do you really want a state because you wanted a state in 1947 you had one right and 20 times since then including 2005 like do you really want a state well let's check out your charter mr palestinian or mr hamas because your charter says you want dead jews so like that is the, the most foundational lie. Like they don't want to state. They say it, they yell it, they scream it, and we don't want to listen to it. And, and the irony is the same people who are not listening to the Palestinians and saying, oh, they don't mean it, are the same people saying they deserve a state. It's it's preposterous. So that's so the let, most let, foundational. Let, let, let me, that's it's an excellent point, but let me stop you there, Hillel. How, why do you think that that um, inner contradiction between what is being said in English, we want a state, and what's being said to their own people in Arabic, we want dead Jews because that's exactly what the Hamas charter calls for. Why do you think that discrepancy is unknown <laughs> to most Westerners? You know, I don't I don't think it's unknown. We all have Google Translate. I think it's mm-hmm. something they don't want to know. Right. You don't want to know. And so you close your eyes. You put a blindfold on. But, 
you know, I, I, uh, you know, I, I don't want to get too controversial here, but you know, you asked about Hamas's charter, but let's let's be accurate here. And the PLO's charter is no different, right? The SRR okay. was a terrorist who started the PLO with one goal and one goal only. And again, you could read the charter; it's to get rid of Israel. Their entire identity is to get rid of Israel. They don't have a positive identity; they have a negative identity. And so, yeah. you know, if you're going to be honest, and you have, you know, as a person, if you have some integrity. And you're going around saying, let's give them a state. Why don't you listen to what they're saying? Right. And again, that's that is the most you know, fundamental lie, but it, it, it continues. I mean, occupation, right? Really? Occupation causes terror? Well, presumably, if the occupation causes the terror, then if you remove the occupation, there should be no terror. And yet there was Arab terror against Jews before there was even a state of Israel, let alone an occupation. 1929, they're massacring Jews in Hebron. Why? For the future occupation? Like Another lie, right? And, you know, oh, Israel's occupying Gaza? Another lie. 2005, no Jews. We, we ethnically cleansed Gaza. From, there were no Jews in Gaza, not alive and not dead. We removed our dead from the ground. And so, like, you know, occupation? What occupation? What were they What were they fighting against on October 7th? They were, they, they were going, again, in accordance with what they, they've always done, which is try to kill as many Jews as possible. And just somehow the world just keeps their blindfold on. It's wild. Yeah. Well, well, all all we can do is try to spread the truth and repeat the truth because the lies get repeated. So I guess the more we repeat the truth, and I'll just add one more to your list. The PLO, the Palestinian Liberation Organization, was founded and established in 1963, four years before any of this territory was quote unquote occupied. And it was and it was it was founded to liberate, it was founded to liberate, you know, Jerusalem and 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 Israel from you know palestine so that's important to know that four years before the the six-day war which resulted in israel's quote-unquote occupation this whole this whole movement began it's just another little tidbit for our listeners south africa recently charged uh israel uh, of genocide in uh, the united nations international court of justice how have you been combating the idea in this particular war that israel uh, is not committing genocide, but that the Palestinians or the Hamas group, and now you're saying it's also the PLO, which I don't disagree with. What key points have you been advancing when this this word genocide gets thrown around? You, know, you don't have to be too sophisticated. I mean, really, you don't have to be a rocket scientist, right? If you're going to come to me and say to me, Israel killed 30,000 people and that this is a genocide, fantastic. I'll go with you. Just tell me how, how many of those people were, were actual terrorists, because the the numbers that the world is quoting was provided by the you know ministry, the Gaza Health Ministry, which is Hamas. Meaning, you as a, as a as a human being with a brain in your head and critical thinking are walking around quoting an actual terrorist organization that beheaded babies. Like, are you really thinking that's a reliable source? And if it is a reliable source, then please tell me, according to those numbers that you're quoting, how many of those quote unquote thirty thousand people were terrorists? And the answer is zero, because according to the Hamas. Everybody's innocent in Gaza, right? And everyone in Israel is a terrorist. It, it, you know, the irony is just so ridiculous. And so if you're going to quote, you know, these numbers, then let's let's talk about these numbers. And if you think that after four months of war, the most sophisticated army in the world was unable to kill a single terrorist, well, then you, you probably realize how ridiculous you sound. So it doesn't have to, you don't have to get too sophisticated. Just ask a simple question. If you're saying Israel committed genocide, just tell me the numbers. And when you talk to that person, whoever that person may be, and they look at you like, I don't know how many terrorists you know, Israel took out, well, you'd be like, that's because you're quoting Hamas. That's the end of the story. That's it. And what do you think about what happened, obviously, just literally this morning, with the attacks from Hezbollah into Israel? Um, is Israel, in your opinion, going to try to calm this down or use this as, um, you know, is this the beginning of, of the next war? 
you know, I'm not obviously a, a military strategist or my politicians. So I don't have any answers other than, you know, you can ask me as a person what I think. And yeah. I think that, yeah. you know, my father um, often quotes on Pesach when we say that he says the miracle every generation is that our enemies don't unite to fight us. They fight against each other every time. It's unbelievable to watch Hezbollah and Hamas, two organizations that are dedicated to the, to the absolute annihilation of the Jewish people, and they can't even join forces. It's unbelievable to watch. I mean, thank God. But, um, mm-hmm, you know, I don't yeah. think Israel wants another war. I don't think, you know, it's not like it's not that we couldn't fight another war. We absolutely could, uh, you know, but we're a, a peaceful people, right? Peace is a, you know, unlike the other religion that says the religion of peace, Judaism is actually a religion of peace, right? We, we pray for peace a hundred times a day. And so we don't want a war. We didn't want the war with Hamas. We don't want the war with Hezbollah. If we can avoid it and we can prevent it, great. But, you know, the the, the status quo of them firing rockets into, uh, you know, northern Israel and, and so many people being evacuated. And this morning, a woman, you know, a soldier being murdered as a result of their fire, this obviously cannot continue. And so Israel is going to have to do what it's going to have to do. And, and, you know, today it definitely intensified its attacks in Lebanon. And, you know, Hezbollah is already threatening, oh, they're going to whatever. The whole thing's ridiculous. But the bottom line is this has to stop. What is Israel saying in terms of the post-Hamas situation in the Gaza Strip? Who's going to run the show? Yeah, it's a million-dollar question, right? I mean, I don't think anyone's made any declarations yet, um, but I think it's pretty much consensus that obviously Hamas has to go. The PLO cannot run. You know, PLO again—they're no less terrorist than Hamas is. Uh, it's just they're just like they—they—they they, they, you know they play a nice uh, game of, of of disguise and masquerade. But um, you know, I think if you'd ask me, um, what has to happen, and this is by no means an ideal ideal solution, but I think it's the only solution we have for now, at least, which is. Uh, kind of duplicate what we did in uh, Judea and Samaria, what the world likes to call the West Bank, which is security control, meaning you have your own towns, you have your own mayors, do whatever the heck you want, but you lift a weapon, we're there, right? Janine, Shem, right? And so, again, not ideal, but no one, I don't think anyone in Israel wants to take Gaza back and, you know, uh, deal with that. So for now, I think sec- uh, maintaining security control over Gaza is probably the best solution. Um, but more importantly, uh, you know, what has to happen fundamentally is the complete denazification of Gaza, right? We cannot, uh, you know, even if we completely kill every single Hamas terrorist and Hamas no longer exists, that that is a nice Band-Aid, right? Unless you deal with the indoctrination, right? Unless you deal yeah. with the next generation, it's just going to pop up again. So we need to deal yeah. with that. Let's say that what you just envisioned becomes the new reality on the ground in the Gaza Strip. And you have a uh, some sort of Israeli military presence that's allowing uh, the local Palestinian populations to govern themselves. You know, have they been able to change it in Yudavishomron in the West Bank? If they haven't been able to change it there, I mean, I'm not sure there's an answer to this question, but I'm curious and I'm asking my friends and people in the know, because that's the only, I agree 100%, the indoctrination, we need a new generation of Palestinians who are not raised to hate Jews. How do you do that? You know, there's historic precedence to this. It's not like we haven't done it before. We did it in Germany. We did it in Japan, right? right. And these are, these are these are societies just as loyal to their ideology as as the Palestinians are. So we've done this before. And we need to do it again, and that's it. I mean, there's no, you know, there's no stopping in the middle here, right? Because when you're when you're teaching kids from age zero that Jews are pigs and that you're waiting, you're going to meet seventy two virgins in heaven when you murder a Jew, like you know, what do you expect them to do, right? So we need to. And that, by the way, thank you, Umrah, for that, right? Uh, we need to we need to just re you know, wire, we rewire the entire educational system in Gaza and the Palestinian uh, population in general. Um, if that means, you know, taking control of schools, I, I don't know. Again, I'm not, I'm not, this isn't my area, but, but uh, one thing is for sure. 
this cannot continue, right? There's, you know, what was will no longer be, right? I think everyone agrees that there was pre-October 7th to post-October 7th. Don't, right. don't get me started on why anyone thought it was a good idea to disengage from Gaza unilaterally, why anyone thought it was a good idea to have a border with no buffer. Whoever heard of such a thing? These things are insane, but they happen. So now it's spilled milk and now we're here. So now the reality has to change. I think everyone knows that. Um, and, you know, we have to we have to go to the, the guts, right? It's it, right now. Guts, the guts is education. And by the way, I love that, you know, Japan and Germany are actually, you know, excellent examples of how two massive societies turned their ideology around. Germany, ironically, is one of the most supportive European countries of Israel. And um, we still have survivors alive. It's pretty, pretty incredible. I guess if it can happen there, it can happen anywhere. Right. Uh, and, I, you know, just to throw in one more point there, right, one of the one of the many points that the anti-Israel crowd or even, you know, uh, politicians around the world are saying is, you know, you're just creating the next generation, right? By bombing Gaza, you're next, you're creating more people who hate Israel. The next, how come no one said that in Germany? Like, how come no one said that in Japan? Like, right. you know, no one doubted the necessity of World War II. Everyone understood that, yes, there are millions, I don't know how many million, many, many millions of Germans who didn't, who, who were innocent, who died in World War II. Horrible, tragic. But that doesn't take away from the validity or the legitimacy of World War II. I don't think anyone in their right mind, you know, questions whether World War II and the denazification of Germany was absolutely crucial. And yet when it comes to, you know, here, it's like, oh, we have to ask, why, why are you asking these questions if you never asked them about any but, other but, war? But Hillel, do you know why? You know what the major difference is? Because nobody challenges no one challenges the sovereign right of any European country that was attacked by Germany. No one challenges Switzerland's or, I don't know, Belgium, whatever country that the Nazi regime attacked, people understood that they had a right to exist. This is the problem. Israel was born in sin. And as long as Israel was born in sin, it never will have the right to defend herself because she should never have existed to begin with. And that's why I think... We have to go very to the very, very beginning. Does Israel have a right to exist? If it does, you're right. Then, then wh wh why is she being judged in, in, in according to a standard that's impossible for any other country? But if you, if, if some in the back of your mind, you, 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 you bought into this this propaganda that Israel was never really Jews could have remained in America. They could have remained here. We didn't have to really come back. I mean, right. it was crazy. I saw this on. Some uh, university student was interviewed, and whoever was interviewing the young woman, you know, said, "Well, where, where, where do you think all those Israeli Jews would go? What do you mean they could come to America? They can go to Europe?" And then the person said, "Do you understand that Israel was created because there was no place for the Jew to go?" And it was like silence. So I yeah. think, you know, I'm thinking about you know young American Jews or just young Americans who are just have no concept of why Israel was created to begin with. I'm not even speaking religiously, spiritually. I'm just talking about safe haven, right. you know? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the joke is, it's not a joke. I, I, it's funny to, you know, I, I can't help but laugh is, you know, in, in, in 1940, it was Jews get out of Europe, go to Palestine. And now it's Jews get out of Palestine, go to Europe. It's like, really? Like, leave us the heck alone already. Move on with your life. Stop obsessing. Like, you know, there are so many things about this war that just don't add up, that are just illogical. But the, the most basic one is, why does everyone even care? 
Like literally, yeah. why does anyone even get, why is, it's, why is it the only thing people are obsessed with? I mean, I don't need to tell you about the different conflicts and wars around the world that have infinitely more casualties. So it's definitely not the casualty numbers. So what is it exactly? I mean, did Israel start this war unprovoked? Obviously not. So what is it? Why is the world obsessed? The answer is, we know the answer. I mean, it's the oldest hatred in the book, right? It's the oldest hatred in the book. But then this is the population that I serve, which is 20s and 30s in New York City. And I can't even tell you how many people who come to MJE are telling me that their brothers and sisters, their cousins, their boyfriends, girlfriends are, you know, posting free Palestine and are bought into this propaganda. Okay, so I get that are anti-Semites. There will always be the Holdover as you quoted before from the Haggadah, and every generation they'll try to destroy us. But our own young people have been sucked into this. And that's why we have a responsibility to educate. We should have been doing this 30 years ago. We were doing it a little already, but we, we, we've we developed, we've allowed an entire generation of young Americans, young Westerners who are not anti-Semites. It's very hard for me to look at these people. And just, you know, somebody called me, one of my students who volunteered as a firefighter in Israel. He's a lawyer, but he's a volunteer firefighter in Long Island. He went for two weeks to a volunteer for the IDF to do firefighting, calls me from Israel, Rabbi, my sister is posting free Palestine, okay? His sister, he's over there volunteering, and she's here protesting. I don't know, I'm I'm curious from your perspective, maybe we could shift a little into my world here. You know, again, I'm not telling you something you don't already know, but I'm maybe reiterating, which is, you know, just look at history. Like literally open a history book. Look at the, the history of the Jewish people, right? Start wherever you want to start. Let's start in Egypt, right? 210 years of persecution, right? Comes along God with his with his buddy Moses and says, here, 10 plagues. Jews, get out of here. 80% stayed. What, are you nuts? What, like, how is that even possible? Like, me, we, we know this, right? We've learned this. But I don't know about you, but I never thought about it. I never stopped and thought about it. Like, how could that be? What was their narrative, right? What what were those Jews, Israelites in Egypt? What were they what were they telling themselves? I'll tell you what they were telling themselves. I'm Egyptian. I was born here. My parents were born here. My grandparents were born here. I have a roof over my head and food on the table. Leave me alone with this land of milk and honey stuff. That's it, right? They just stayed. They ignored reality. They just did not see what was right in front of their faces. But it gets it gets again. It, it continues throughout the generation in in the desert. Again, we learn we learn the story. I I never thought about it. How could it be? How could it be that 10 of the world, like the, the, the generation's leading rabbis, right? 10 heads of tribes come back from the land of Israel and they say, no, 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 you can't go there. And he spoke badly about the land of Israel. How could that be? So we all, we all know that story. We accepted that's what happened. But, but why? What did they tell themselves? I wasn't there, but I would imagine they told themselves what often religious Jews in America and other places today tell themselves, which is I'm in the desert. I have a direct line of communication with God. I'm very firm. I'm very religious here in the desert. Tell me to go into this country and build an economy and join an army. I'm here. I get man from Hashem. And he has clouds of glory around. We're buddies, me and God. I am super firm. God's like, dude, what are you even talking about? Get your butt into the land of Israel, right? And then, you know, we, we just read this like two weeks ago, right? We get to the, the sea after everything that God did for us. I mean, this, and we're like, oh God, you're going you're gonna to kill us here? It's like, are you, are you not seeing that what God has done for you? You think God brought you all the way here to kill you? So, okay, fine. He splits the sea. We get to the other side. We're like, you think by now, after everything, you'd be like, okay, we get it, God. You love us. You got our backs. No. What do they say? We're coming out of the sea. The Egyptians are probably coming out right behind us. And God's like, no, no, no. They're dead. And they're like, no, I want to see them. 
And God spits the bodies on the shore. And we say it in Davidin every morning. We saw the bodies and then by Amino, then we believed. Are you guys nuts? Like, do you not see what's right in front of your faces? That's what we do. We ignore what's right in front of our faces. And the same thing's happening right now. I mean, we just don't see reality. And by the way, the script, it keeps repeating itself. You know, that's one element, but then there's the whole other element, which is, you know, there's an empire. Like this is this is just basic history. There's an empire, and the empire grows and grows and grows. And when it reaches, you know, levels of, of influence that are unparalleled, then morality goes out the window, right? The emperor puts people to fight to their death, and all morality goes out the window. And they don't want, in that society, they no longer want, quote-unquote, old-school morality, a.k.a. the Torah, right? Because where does the world know that it's immoral to murder or rape from the Torah? So, they don't want that Torah shoved down their throats anymore. So what do they do? They come after the messenger because you kill FedEx, you don't get your package, right? They come after us. They're like, we don't want your morality. And we, you know what we do? Every single time, it's the same thing. We come, we say, no, no, no. Hey, we're just like you. Look, we're fully assimilated. In fact, in fact, we're not just like you. We are more Greek than you, Greeks. We are more Roman than you. We are more liberal than the most liberal people in America. Don't come after us. We're just like you. And then that empire is like, no, 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 no. Let me tell you something. You are not just like us. In fact, we have a special tool that we can use to prove to you that you're not just like us. It's called anti-Semitism. And then we know the rest. So it's the same thing over and over again. It's what we're doing right now. I'm speaking to my friends every day. I'm like, why are you not on a plane? Oh, it's not going to happen here. Really? Really? Like, are you, I'm not, there's not going to be concentration camps in America, but like if the transition from dangerous rhetoric to the extermination of Jews in Europe took years, after October 7th, the anti-Semitism skyrocketed in a day. So what's going to happen in a month from now or two months from now? I mean, you know, we have anti-Semites in Congress. We have Kanye West. We have Kyrie Irving. We have, you know, Jews being beaten and murdered in the streets. And we're like, oh, it's not going to happen here. Wake the heck up. I hear the passion in your voice. And you yourself made Aliyah. You did it. You moved your whole family. Uh, no, no, your no. Whole... no, let me just correct you there. I came as a kid. So I, I'm a big talker. My parents brought me here. I wasn't married when I came here. I came in the middle of high school. Okay. All right. So your older brother who I grew up with, Moshe. He chose to make Aliyah, no? Yes. He did. He did. I mean, so yeah. basically your family, your your siblings, your your parents certainly. So you're not you're not a, of the opinion like stay in the diaspora, fix the problem. Now I'm putting religion aside for a minute, because I know that there's a mitzvah. It's called Yeshuv Eretz Yisrael. It's one of the six hundred and thirteen mitzvot. Even if the Rambam didn't write it down, we all know it's a mitzvah to live in Israel. And that's something we're very proud of at MGE. A lot of our participants and graduates have made Aliyah, besides the trips and the marching in the Israeli Day Parade. But do you think it's just time to, and you tell me, your, I, I want to hear your real opinion. You don't hold back. Turn the lights uh, out. Turn the uh, lights out. Like, the heck with it. We're done. I'll tell you. I, I'll it, tell you it was a story. Good, it was a I'll, good run in, in America, but like, you know. I'll tell you a story. So I was, uh, I was eating dinner at a friend's house. Uh, probably six, seven months ago, maybe, maybe a little more. And they're a little more yeshivish. They're a little more, you know, right religiously. Uh, and they were in Israel, you know, they, they moved to Israel. So they're obviously they do have some Zionism, but, you know, they're definitely not your typical Zionists, let's call it. Mm -hmm. And we were having dinner and Zionism came up and we started talking. And the wife looks at me with a straight face. She was not kidding. And she says to me, wait, Hillel, you think all Jews belong in Israel? And I looked at her and I'm like, I don't understand something. Open your sitter. Open, open your sitter. And she opens it. I'm like, does it not say in your Ircha? Does it not say in your Torah that we have to like what do you mean? Oh, of course all Jews belong in Are you nuts? What does that mean? Should all Jews mm -hmm. keep Shabbos? Of course. Does that mean that I have to go, you know, judge people who don't keep Shabbos right now? No. At least you should know in the back of your head where your where your home is. 
So to answer your question, I don't think every single Jew needs to get up right now and just, you know, throw their life away. That's that's obviously not realistic. And I, that's not something that's expected of anyone. But when I speak to my friends and, and I say to them, just just answer me one question. What has to happen for you to get up and leave? And, and, I, and I say as follows. I say, you know, just just go with me on this. If I, if I put a gun to your head, like a literal physical gun, I said to you, listen, if you're not on a plane on El Al in an hour from now with your whole family, I am pulling the trigger. I would imagine most people get on a plane. So if you're not getting on a plane, presumably you you think that the current situation is not a gun to your head. But what constitutes a gun to your head if not what we right. have right now? So, right. you know, the answer is every Jew belongs in Israel. Does that mean right this second? No. I mean, you have an important role over there and there's no question about that. But if anybody's there and they think that that's their home and, they, and Israel's not on their mind at all, then they're kidding themselves. They're not they're not paying attention. Yeah. So, so what I'm sharing, and I appreciate that, I, what I'm sharing with my students who are not from let's say aliyah oriented types of homes and families zionistic they'll march in the israeli day parade and carry a flag we're going to rallies together but um what i will say to them is that to study jewish history you you use the word it was at 20 percent. you said because that number is basically a constant throughout jewish history it started with egypt like you said but spain and portugal and Ger like we literally, and by the way, I hate to say it, but here in the United States, it's also about 20% of the American five to six million Jews that are, you know, identify, somehow identified as Jews in the United States. We will, we have about 20% that are committed enough to perpetuate this to the next generation. 80% are not. We have a 71% intermarriage rate outside of the Orthodox community. Do the math. That includes all of the from a Yidin and Teaneck and the five towns and you know mm -hmm. in Borough Park and so so it, with those numbers it's still 20 percent which is interesting so what 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 I urge my students and anyone listening is to study Jewish history the same patterns repeat themselves and even if you can't pick up and make Aliyah tomorrow to understand that there is a ideal place for the Jew to live and that if we continue to view wherever we happen to be living, wherever circumstances have placed us, okay? And we look at that as the end all be all, I think that's very dangerous. Uh, the, the, reason yeah. I'm alive, the reason I'm alive is because my mother's father, my grandfather after whom I'm named, he lived in Germany for hundreds of years. I just did a whole ancestry that hundreds, of, we, were, we were in Germany for so many more centuries than we've been in the United States, okay? And the reason he left is because his driver, he was very successful, his driver convinced him to pick up, to take his family and to leave in 1937 from Germany. Most wow. of their friends, religious and not religious alike, this doesn't matter. Most of their friends did not go and they perished. And um, I'm not saying we've reached that point here in the United States. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to improve this, you know, and decrease anti-Semitism. That's part of what we're trying to do. But to maintain the mentality that the ultimate place for the Jew is anywhere outside of Israel, I think, it's, besides theologically untenable, it's, I think it's dangerous. Yeah. I mean, if someone told me a statistic that I, I can't verify, I don't know how one can verify this, but it was an interesting thought. And that is, he said that had Hitler not killed six million Jews, it would be the same amount of Jews in the world today because of assimilation. Oh, the, I mean, the, it, it's, it sounds terrible. And somebody once said that at one of our annual dinners, a bunch of people got up and left because it sounded really? so, yeah, 
somebody in a video that we had said, you know, um, it was a woman who had become more observant and she was sitting next to her husband who she met here at MG and all of her kids. And she said, my sister intermarried, my brother intermarried, and my other sister is going with somebody not of the faith. It's a Holocaust. She used the H word. People got up and walked out. But wow. uh, but listen, the intermarriage rate in the United States before the Second World War was negligible. It was 2%. Wait, but hold on a second. Hold on. Let me, let me just clarify what I just said. I'm not, yeah. I'm not comparing, you know. I'm not comparing marrying someone that you love outside of the faith to a Holocaust. Please right. misunderstand. No, me. And by the way, I'm not either. I'm not either. But it has the same effect statistically. Right. Numbers. Numerically. Like the numbers. Exactly. There exactly. are six. There are five to six million Jews in the United States. Before the Second World War, there were five to six million Jews in the United States. By the by, the most modest population rates, we should be at fifteen to sixteen million. Most modest. Okay, and we're only at five. We're a third of where we should be, not because of any, uh, you know, overt attacks, anti-Semitism, God forbid, annihilation. There are no camps here, as you said. It's assimilation. It's assimilation. And uh, somebody actually just said to, this to me about Theodor Herzl, who was not a very religious personality, but he has tremendous, tremendous spiritual merits. Because think about all the Jews that have married Jews and had Jewish kids, some of whom were sent to Jewish schools and some not, but they're all living in Israel, serving in the IDF. And Theodor Herzl gets a lot. a huge yeshikach for that. I mean. Yeah, yeah you know, I, I think, um, you know, the, the whole not anti-Semitic, only anti-Zionist is, again, one of those lies is just like, are you for real right now? You can't be anti-Zionist without being anti-Semitic any more than you can be anti-Jesus without being anti-Christian. Like, stop it already. Like, Zion is as core to Judaism as anything. Like, yeah. Zion is in, you know, our prayers a thousand times a day. We, we've been praying and facing Zion for thousands of years and longing for Zion. I heard a story recently that I loved that one, I don't remember the name of the rabbi, but a big rabbi moved to Israel, made Aliyah, and when his student said to him, you know, what, what do you miss most uh, from America? He said, I miss the longing for Israel. Mm, right? Wow. We've we, wow. we longed for Israel, you know, for thousands of years. Don't tell me that you're anti-Zionist without being anti-Semitic. It doesn't exist, let alone, forget the theological thing, let alone that the Jews have this tiny little speck on the map that's like you, invisible in the Middle East, and that's too much for the Jews? Like, come on. <laughs> well, let, let's, uh, before I get to what you're doing professionally a little, um, have you found any inspiration, support, or strength during this time? Any, anything positive that you can give us a message yeah. from the Holy Land? Hundred percent. It's actually it's ironic. It's actually not from the Holy Land. Uh, it's from my friend Ephraim, Rabbi Ephraim Goldberg from Boca yeah. Raton. Yeah, we came, uh, right. So he came. He came to Israel. He came to our shul, and he, you know, he spoke and he tried to, to to give us strength. And he said something that I've been quoting, you know, left and right because I think it is the most beautiful, perfect, just illustration of what's going on here. He said it was it was Parshas Lech Lecha. It was a portion of Lech Lecha where God comes to Abraham and says, leave your, your home, leave your family, and go to the strange land called Canaan, a.k.a. the land of Israel. And he says four words to Abraham that, again, I've learned my whole life. You've learned your whole life. I never stopped to think about it. And it's unbelievable. Once I heard how he explained it, it's like, how did I never think about that before? He says, uh, God says to Abraham, whoever blesses you, Abraham, a.k.a. the Jewish people, will be blessed those who curse you. Now, you don't have to be a, a grammar expert to realize what the next word should be. 
It should be akalel. I will curse, right? There's the same root of the word bracha, blessing. Those who curse you should say akalel, but it doesn't. The Torah switches language and it says, I will curse, but it uses a different word, the word aor, right? Why does it switch language? It's an obvious question. So he said the word aor clearly has another word in it, or light. He said, this is the right way to read that verse. It's just, it's just so beautiful. He said, those who bless you, those who stand in your corner, the Jewish people, will be blessed. Those who curse you, those who get in your face, those who stand in your way, they will see your light. They will see your charity. They will see your unity. They will see the support. They will see all the delegations. They will see, they will see your light. And your light, Jewish people, will extinguish the darkness of your enemies. To me, that's the whole thing. We are the wow. source and we are the forces of light in this world, no matter how you want to look at it. Again, you can look at it from the Nobel Prizes. You can look at it through the Israeli tech, which is a nice segue. You can look at it however you want, right? The Jewish people have been a light onto this world and there's no denying that. And so we are focused on light. That's what we're focused on, glorifying life and bringing light to this world. And, you know, no darkness will extinguish that light, no matter how hard they try. Beautiful. If your tech stuff goes into the toilet, uh, Hillel, you should be a rabbi. That was gorgeous. That was really, really. <laughs> it's not mine. I, uh, no, I know, but you, share, you you gave it over beautifully. And Thank you. I really do think, you know, on a very positive note that what's happened since October 7th, besides the achdos, the tremendous unity, is that the true face of Israel and the Jewish people is being shown to the world. You go on one side of the street and you see a pro-Hamas demonstration and how they behave and you go to the other side with the flag, with the Israeli flags, and you see people are people are picking up on this. People are noticing this. I also, by the way, just a little encouraging. I posted on my Instagram yesterday. Got a lot of traffic. Um, the mayor uh, here in New York yeah. City, amazing, you saw amazing. that, who yeah. just walked right over to the person and said, "That is called the hostages." That is what's yeah. called moral clarity. Something yeah. that is so, you know. Yeah rare to see today, right? There's just total moral bankruptcy and a complete loss of a moral compass so that when someone has such moral clarity, it goes viral. You want to know something also, just mention then, then we'll talk about your your incredible work in technology. But I had the honor of of, of interviewing the, the mayor and he said to me that he had run-ins with the police when he was younger. And this was during the time when um, there was some, you know, black racism going on in New York and the United States. And uh, he said, I had a choice as a young black American. I could get angry and rebel against the system or I could get in the system and try to fix things. So he became a police officer. And for over 20 years, he serves in the NYPD wow. with the distinction. That, and, and that's why he has no tolerance for this victimhood kind of mentality. Yep. OK, and, and he's not he's not buying into it. A lot of people in this town are, unfortunately. Of buying into it and whoever is more successful and whoever is more powerful must you know by definition be more immoral right morality only lies with the weak but he's not buying it and 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 that's because that's ridiculous. his story this is my theory I just about, want to say yeah, about that you know you really nailed it when you said victimhood right i mean you think about think about the palestinian movement right i mean they are the only refugees in the history of mankind that are increasing in numbers generation to generation because you, you know you inherit the refugee status in any other normal society, you settle a land, you're no longer a refugee. Not in the Palestinian world. In the Palestinian world, you're forever a refugee. It's, it's the most preposterous thing. And so, but, but at the end of the day, they've they've a built-in incentive to maintain that victimhood because it's it pays well, 
right? Yeah. Of course, there are innocent people in Gaza. No one, no one in their right mind would say that of the millions of people living in Gaza, there's not one innocent person. Of course, there are. But there were also innocent Germans. And the Palestinian people, the people that, that the world says deserves a state, voted for Hamas. So, right. you know, I mean, and, and forget that, you know, forget that. Let's say they were under pressure and it wasn't democratic and they couldn't not vote for Hamas. Fine, I'll go with you. They just did a, a poll. I mean, we, we know the numbers. 90% of Gaza supports October 7th. So yeah. we're talking about a population that is rotten to the core with, of course, the asterisk that there are innocent people. And it's tragic for those people. Yeah. They're brainwashed. Yeah. And then that's the question is, you know, and that's a moral quandary also. Do you take a five-year-old or a 15-year-old that's been brainwashed? Now, it didn't hold up at the Nuremberg trials when, when, uh, when there were a couple of accused Nazis uh, saying that this is the way I was raised. This is the way I was taught. And what could what you know what what else could you expect of somebody that was that defense did not hold at a certain point. I don't know right. if a kid. I don't know how you'd feel about a kid putting a five year old to death because he's now if he's holding a gun he's about to shoot at you. But no, um, uh, let's be very clear here, right? I mean, kids. You know, kids are kids are kids. kids even even no even kids that are indoctrinated are still kids, right? No one in their right mind would say to go kill a kid. Okay, but. Right. You have to understand that this is a terrorist in the making. And so you don't yeah. have to kill, God forbid, you don't kill a kid. But you have to make sure to uproot their entire educational system so that they stop believing that we're, we're, we're pigs who deserve to be murdered. I mean, it's very simple. Anyway, let's right. talk about something lighter. Tell us a little about your role as Israel's top marketer. Any specific tech ideas, projects you want to talk about with us today? Uh, so first of all, I just want to, uh, number one, I don't, I don't know, you know, those titles that you gave me, I don't know, uh, you know, I'm the top, I don't know if I'm the top, whatever, but... Um, I do want to say that, you know, basically October 8th, day after I shut down my tech business, I'm not really doing tech anymore. I'm hundred percent focused on Israel right now. Um, you know, I don't, a lot of people have been saying to me, well, how do you support your family? And I really literally have been saying to people, God will provide and thank God so far God has provided. I, I don't know what's going to be in the long term, but I can't in, in, with, with a clear conscience focus on technology right now. I feel like I'm channeling Ari in a very serious way. And I feel like everything I've done in the tech world or in the social media world till today has put me in this place right now where I can leverage that platform and, and fight misinformation. So I'm all in on Israel. That being said, um, you know, I don't think they're, I actually don't think they're disconnected. You know, I think that, you know, yes, Ari uh, was an Israel advocate and he, and he, and he promoted Israel through advocacy. I promoted Israel through technology. So my, my job was a lot easier than his because technology is a consensus, right? But at the end of the day, you know, pre-October 7th, I was a technology guy, but at the core and the underlying thing that I was promoting was Israel always. Um, but, you know, I think people have heard, obviously, the book and the, the term startup nation and, and, and you know, people are, are familiar with ways and whatever. People have no clue. Like, literally, people have no clue. What, what I think, and I really mean this, I don't, I mean this genuinely, I think that what's going on uh, in Israeli innovation is biblical. It is 100% miraculous. And I, and I don't mean like a hidden miracle. I mean, like this is, this is our open miracles. Like it makes no sense that a country smaller than New Jersey in the worst neighborhood on earth is leading the world of technology across all sectors of technology, showing no signs of slowing down. Even now it's wild wow. to see. I mean, really across all sectors. It used to be in the olden days, quote unquote, that Israel excelled at cyber, obviously because of the military and semiconductors, right? That was kind of our thing. Now, you have a hard time finding any sector in which Israel is not a significant player. Maybe we're not number one, but really, no matter how you want to look at the Israeli tech ecosystem, we're talking about a phenomenon that 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 is really biblical. I mean, you know, let's say you want to look at capital, how much money is flowing into Israel. I mean, just to give you one number so you understand the, 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 the enormity of it, 
in, in 2020, $11 billion were invested in Israeli startups. $11 billion. I think we can both agree that's a pretty astronomical number for a country smaller than New Jersey. $11 in billion. Year. Dollars. In one year. In one year. That's 2020. 2021, 26 billion. Oh my God. That's right. 11 billion to 26 billion in one year. In so one year. that's, yeah, and that's, so that's, that's capital. But, you know, what type of capital? Meaning is this, you know, let's call it quote unquote dumb money. Is it some random people around the world just to have extra, you know, liquid, you know, and they're, and they're just throwing money at Israel? No, it's not. It's the most strategic money in the world. The top, the, there's no such thing almost as a top tier venture capitalist in Silicon Valley that has not opened up shop in Israel or at the very least has someone on the ground scouting deals. It doesn't exist. So it's not just the, the quantity of that capital, it's the quality, it's the highest level, the, the most sophisticated technology investors in the world are deploying billions and billions of dollars in Israel. So that's that's on the capital side. But then you look at like the multinationals, right? The Fortune 100s, the Googles of the world. Again, there is no such thing as a leading technology enterprise that has not set up shop in Israel. And not only have they set up shop in Israel, but they're building core elements of their portfolio in Israel. So for example, anybody who unlocks their iPhone is using Israeli technology. Anybody who Googles something and makes a, a mistake and Google says, did you mean this? That's built in Israel. Anybody who uses Microsoft Teams, that's built in Israel. I mean, I could go on, right? Wow. Microsoft, Google, Facebook, they're all here. And so that's on the multinationals. But, you know, you can continue and you could say, you know, what about success? Or how successful are Israeli startups? So you, you look at unicorns, right? What's, what's called the unicorn in the tech world is like a, a billion dollar private company. So right. a number that, that blew my mind that I heard recently is that Israel has a 10th of the uni the entire world's unicorns. Like, oh what? God. That doesn't make any sense, you know? <laughs> and then you look at the public markets, right? The public markets, right? Wall Street. You have the country with the most companies on Wall Street is the United States of America, 350 million people. Number two, China, a billion and a half people. Number three, Israel, 9 million people. Oh, what? my God. You it went from 1.3 to... Yeah. To uh, to nine million, that's unbelievable. It's wild. Yeah, so and, and it I is think, biblical. Know, it, it is biblical. It's just, yeah, I mean, yeah. in terms of impact, and and, and how by is the way, it? Yeah, you just nailed it. That's so funny. You just said that because that's the punchline of it all, right? All the things that I mentioned till now are great. I'm not belittling them. The fact that Google's in Israel and billions—it's all great. But we call ourselves a light onto the nations, and we're not a light onto the nations because billions of dollars are being invested in Israel. So why are we a light onto the nations? Because of impact. When you look at impact technology, I'm not talking about nonprofits. I'm talking about tech companies that are doing well by doing good, right? I'm talking about cancer research. Israel leads the way. Mental health. Israel leads the way. You know, all healthcare and biotech. I mean, Israel is right ahead. You know, right next to Silicon Valley. And so, not only you know is the tech ecosystem incredibly successful. Uh, it's also incredibly impactful. To me, that's the most important element. Wow. Well, that's very encouraging. And and not to bring things down, but how how are things doing in terms of the war in the tech sector? And how, how does 300,000 call up and so many people away from their jobs and their works? Uh, what's your prediction? Like, tell us a little of how that's going there. Well, we'll go back again to ancient Egypt because we talked about it before and we know what the Torah says. And this isn't even the commentary. We talked about, you know, 20% staying in Egypt. That's commentary. But the Torah itself, literally, black on white says, the more the Jews were persecuted in Egypt, they were they multiplied and they flourished. That's that is the that is the story of the Jewish people. The more they terrorize, the more we innovate. And so no matter how you want to look at this ecosystem, and by the way, one of my last tweets just now, literally an hour ago, was a, a tweet from Michael Eisenberg, who I'm sure you know is an investor. Yeah, sure. he, and he talked about in his tweet, and he gave, you know, this isn't an opinion. I mean, we're talking data, how Israel and Israeli tech is not only delivering, we're over-delivering, because that's what we do, right? And 
So, you know, yes, it's a challenge. I'm not belittling that. Of course, it's a challenge when half the workforce is called up for, you know, reserve duty. But the other half is overcompensating and, and, and over-delivering. And that's, you know, I think so that's, things, again... So, so things are still going on within the tech world in a serious 100%, way. 100%. Right. Like we've multinationals pouring billions into Israel. We have massive acquisitions and massive, you know, uh, rounds of financing. It's not, it hasn't slowed down. And, and the capital that pours into Israel is, are some other investors or countries you know, a little less apt to do that because of the instability caused by the war or it's it's still coming in okay? Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, I guess the answer is depends who you ask, right? I'll, I'll tell you that uh, about a year ago, maybe a little more, I wrote a post about, you know, the whole judicial reform thing. And I, I'm an optimistic right. guy. And I said, like, come on, stop with the, you know, BS of investors pulling their money. Stop it. Israel has the smartest minds in the world and that's, that hasn't changed. And investors are stop, not stopping to invest. And I wrote that because I'm an optimistic guy. And I got a phone call that night from an actual billionaire. And he said to me, hello. I love you, man, but like you're just that's not true. Like I see he's like I sat at a table with five other billionaires and they all pulled their money. So, you know, I am an optimistic guy and and maybe I was a little bit overly optimistic back then. But today, I mean, the answer is investors are continuing to invest. Yes, war is scary. Yes, right. instability is the last thing an investor wants. But again, with the brain power and the talent and the innovation, we 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 overcompensate for that instability. And I don't see yeah. I don't there are, you know, of course, there are investors, you know, specific investors that have maybe slowed down investing in Israel. But as a whole, as a trend, you know, that's not something. And, and do, do you see any investors upping or new investors coming in because they want to support Israel? 100 percent. We're seeing, you know, top VCs in Silicon Valley, you know, making official announcements that they're doubling down on Israel. We're seeing, you know, Love companies that. pouring billions in NVIDIA and uh you know, Palantir. I mean, you know, someone joked on Twitter. It's not a joke, but someone said on Twitter a couple of weeks ago, they quoted that 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 verse that I just quoted to you, which is those who bless the Jewish people will be blessed. And they showed Palantir stocks skyrocket like the day after they announced <laughs> they're supporting Israel. So, you know, yeah, we're seeing we're seeing uh, increased interest on many fronts with again, uh, there is there there is de there is definitely, you know, a, a challenge with with some investors, but I don't think it's it's a trend that 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 are scared of instability. It's it's not you know it's not something that doesn't exist. It exists, but I right. think as a whole we're we're doing we're doing quite well. That's amazing. Well, I hope we can build on that because the achdus. I hope you're still feeling that achdus, that unity and that love that unfortunately was not felt very strongly in Israel before the war. And uh, I'm feeling some of it here in the diaspora. I, I I think it's harder on some level to live as a diaspora Jew right now than in Israel, because at least in Israel, with all the pain of the war and and, and holy soldiers being killed, there just seems to be a love and a support for one Jew to the next that is really impossible for us to replicate in the diaspora. I'm hoping that's going to spill over, and that's also inspired a little in the tech world and and in business, and people want to just invest more in Israel now because, you know, when you're attacked and you, okay, you like Israel, you love Israel, but then when something you love is, 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 is called into question, it makes you want to really protect it that much more. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. The unity here is, you know, again, I can't help it, but just the way I see it, I mean, I remember writing a post uh, when there was that famous, you know, 300,000 person uh, march in, in Washington, DC. Yeah. And, you know, it occurred to me, 300,000 people marching, uh, you know, to support Israel, 300,000 reservists being called up to defend Israel, that's 600,000 people unified to defend Israel. When was the last time we had 600,000 people unified to defend Israel, unified under, you know, one roof, quote unquote, it was Mount Sinai, when we became uh. a people, we became a people, that is, that is our strength, it always was our strength, we stood there under the mountain. And it says, the, Jew, the Jews, the Israelites stood there as one man with one heart, 600,000 people. 
you think that's a coincidence? I mean, I don't know. Wow. I, I, I never put those 300,000s together. I appreciate you sharing that. That's really powerful. That's really, really Listen, powerful. The, the, miracles, the miracles are so obvious. They're right in front of our faces. Every time a, a rocket lands in an empty space, we're all like, oh, yeah, a rocket landed in an empty space in a country smaller than New Jersey. Where are these empty spaces? Like, where are they? These are miracles. These are unbelievable miracles. I got to tell you a story. I just heard the story. It was mind-blowing. I don't know if you heard this, but a woman uh, created an organization called Incredible Kids where she has nightly Zooms uh, with five to 10,000 Jewish kids every night. But they read Tehillim and whatever it is. And so a couple of nights ago, they had the Zoom with 10,000 kids and they brought an IDF soldier to sing and to talk to them and give the kids a little more personal connection to the war. And mm -hmm. it was very, very inspiring. And after he finished speaking to the group, the woman who created this organization started this, this Zoom. Uh, they were about to start the Tehillim, right? They're about to start uh, praying basically together. And she said to the, the kid who was leading the prayers, who was saying the Psalms, she said, when you get to the verse of there are those that depend on chariots and horses and we look to God, she said to him, do me a favor, scream that verse. Just scream it as hard as you can. He's like, all right. And he screams it and 10,000 kids scream it after him, right? Great, oh beautiful. Hold on. Gets, just, you, you, you ain't seen nothing yet. Hold on to I'm your chair. I'm inspired hold, already. Yeah. Hold on to your chair. So, um, you know, so, okay, the, the Zoom ended and, you know, everybody went on with their lives. Uh, she woke up the next morning to the news that we all woke up with, that a heroic, miraculous rescue of two, two uh, hostages from, from Rafiah, from Rafa. And, um, you know, she started getting texts from all her friends saying, oh, my God, it was your tefillahs, it was your prayers, these kids. And she's like, leave me alone. He told us our prayers. The IDF soldiers, leave me alone. And then she started listening to the reports of this rescue. And the rescue happened at 1.49 a.m. Israel time, 1.49. And she's like, what time is that Eastern? That's 6.49 p.m. Eastern time. She said to herself, what happened at 6.49 p.m. Eastern time? I mean, that was the middle of our Zoom. And she's like, could it be? And she's like, this can't be. And she went back and watched the recording. And at 6.49 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, 10,000 kids shook the heavens. And 6.49, the rescue happened. So yeah, okay, okay, sure. Call it a, call it a coincidence. I mean, these are, God is like, hello, wow. right here, buddy. It's crazy stuff. Crazy. Wow, that's really beautiful. Well, that's what the the sages in the Talmud say about uh, the pure prayers of children. Exactly. I mean, you know, let, let's just let's just say it as it is. Statistically speaking, I'm not a statistic, you know, statistics expert, but what are the chances that there's a rescue operation at 1:49 a.m. and at 6:49, literally on the dot, they yelled that pasuk? Okay, so there are going to be people who say, "Come on, stop it." I mean, all right, cool. See however you want. To me, I'm you know, I'm seeing God left and right. I'm seeing, you know, the wow. Iron Dome. We all take the Iron Dome. It's like, oh yeah, sure. Let's just detonate rockets midair, like as if that's normal. <laughs> these are these are the clouds of glory. God is like, I'm right here, people. Pay attention. We're like, oh, I don't, I don't see him. I don't see him. Crazy. Crazy. That's amazing. Hillel, thank you so much for this inspiration. This should be a zechus for your brother, for Ari's Neshama. You should continue to channel his incredible energy and continue to do the work that you're doing, building up Israel, both materially and spiritually. I really appreciate the time and uh, the chizuk you gave me. Uh, you gave all of us a lot of chizuk here. And please, God, when we should all get there as soon as possible. Amen. I look forward to buying you a shawarma when you make aliyah. <laughs> um, thank you so much, Hillel. I really appreciate it. You should go, Thanks, you should go from strength to strength. It was awesome. Thank you.